Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 139, and the lectionary wants us to read verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 18, but I hear that as a suggestion, so we'll be reading 1 through 18. It's covenant. We're going to do what we want. From the psalmist. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take on the wings of the morning or settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light around me will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know this very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O oh God, how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, they're more than the sand. I come to the end, I am still with you. These are our sacred stories. During COVID lockdown, I was part of a household that contained two adults, two children, two dogs, and two cats. I split my work hours between the dining room table where I had my laptop and a desk in the primary bedroom sitting next to Grayson, who was doing second grade online. I mixed in several visits to the kitchen where Owen was doing virtual seventh grade. And regardless of where I was working, even with doors closed, I could hear Nick in an upstairs space doing his work. I was never alone. One trip to the bathroom stands out, and I say one trip, but you should imagine that this scenario is repeated often. I went to the bathroom. I selected the powder room with the hopes that I would have a mere moment alone. But both dogs, as they almost always did, came with me. They're not small dogs. Once the dogs and I were in the bathroom with the doors closed, it wasn't long before the cat was singing the song of its people. Having been excluded from the party. And then came, Mom! Followed by the second voice, Mom! Where's Mom? And then a third voice, boys, have you seen mom? Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? I ascend to heaven and you're there. 
I make my bed in Sheol, and still you are there. I've often mentioned during those days over Zoom and recorded sermons that we were all in the same storm, but we were in different boats. I know that each boat had its challenges. Today's Psalm, Psalm 139, was part of my boat. I returned to it again and again. Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Perhaps God has, as the psalmist suggests, searched me. Perhaps God knows me and discerns my thoughts. If so, I cannot say this is mutual behavior. I've searched for God, and I've not always found. I have most certainly tried to discern what God was thinking. God may be acquainted with all my ways, but the divine mystery remains just that, a mystery to me most days and in most ways. Psalm 139 has filled me with comfort and it has horrified me. My extreme reactions to this poetry are directly connected to my image of God. When I was a child, I imagined and imaged God as an all-powerful grandfather-like divinity, something like a cross between Zeus and Andy Griffith. <laughs> With this image, Psalm 139 was comforting. God knew all about me. God hemmed me in and front and behind. There was nowhere I could go that God was not with me. But when my young world was shattered by the death of my mother, the words of this psalm became horrifying. I could not get away from the thought that the God I believed in could have prevented my mother's death and didn't. I couldn't run far enough or fast enough to get away from such a cruel creator. This psalm in those horrible days was a threat. I couldn't even hide in Sheol. Even in the underworld, God would search for me and find me. I wanted nothing more than to escape from that God. Maybe if I could fly under the radar, nothing else horrible would happen. The image I held of God did not comfort me. The words of this psalm were not a boon. They were a nightmare. It took many years of questions and community and late night fist shaking, but I was able to create new images of God, new ideas about God. In her book, Picturing God, Anne Unilov says, it is very much a human impulse to try to picture God. And God does come to find us in those very pictures, as well as in the smashing of them. It's likely that each of us has an image of God. Certainly not everyone accepts the existence of a reality which some have named God. Yet so insofar as the word God evokes a response, it almost certainly evokes an image. I wonder if you've given your image, your idea of God, much thought. How do you picture God interacting in the world? If 
you're like me, your image of God has changed over the years. Most of us form an image of God as children, and this image works for us until something happens in our lives that calls that image, that idea of God into question. And from that point on, many of us struggle with how we might picture God. When a crisis happens in our lives, our ideas about God come under scrutiny. We might try to leave God entirely behind or we might find another way to imagine the divine. Our God images, even the ones we've discarded, stay influential in the way we seek to make sense of our existence. But we don't talk about this very often. I can assure you that when my image of God was closer to a cruel, aloof taker of mothers, that I kept my thoughts mostly to myself. We're typically left alone to sort out our changing images of God. Unilov says it this way, what would others think if we talked of God as a stalking animal, sniffing us like prey, or as an alien, a foreigner whose breath is upon our face, whose foot is on our neck? What of a God, as the psalmist says, with great wings under which we hide, or a God whose grace is like a large lap into which we crawl, or a breast upon which we lean, or a warrior God calling us to fight, or God as Jesus sitting on the back pew of our church? Although our God images are modified through natural development, it's when we're faced with the reality of suffering and pain that our God image comes under the most significant challenge. Suffering confronts the way we describe God and ourselves. It affects how we understand ourselves in relationship with God. The absurdity of the situation of suffering makes us wonder what kind of God could allow this. The reality of suffering is regularly presented as a theistic problem in that its existence seems to conflict with a benevolent and omnipotent God. As John Hicks notes, the experience of suffering sets up an internal tension which disturbs faith such that it becomes a perpetual burden of doubt. Suffering has therefore been an issue among many philosophers and theologians among people whose image of God does not square with their experience of suffering. So in suffering, our image has to change. The process may take weeks or years. It's often part of a lifetime and re-envisioning. Our God image alteration may happen in community or it may occur in strict isolation. God picture reshaping might produce images of God we're more comfortable with or images we don't like at all. It may leave us feeling confused about God, our relationship with God, or the entire enterprise of religion. Or it might produce clarity about God, clarity about our life purpose that we didn't possess before our experience. Whether we feel closer to God or completely distanced from God, our suffering unavoidably shapes the way we see God. 
I had the extreme delight of being with many others Thursday night to hear Kate Bowler. Her book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, propelled her into some renown a few years ago. Other books have followed. As a young woman, she was diagnosed with cancer. She came to see that her ideas, her images of God were far more influenced by the prosperity gospel, the idea that God wanted her to be healthy and wealthy and happy. She came to see that her ideas about God needed to be confronted and reimagined. And like the rest of us, she's still doing that work. Much of this work for her has been embracing the paradox, the terrible and the beautiful together, as the title of her most recent book makes clear. It's called, Have a Beautiful, Terrible Day. I received this most recent book as part of my ticket Thursday night. Each entry has a scripture, a little reflection, a blessing, and some thoughts for reflection. On page 112, the scripture is Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. She didn't like the lectionary either. In the blessing for that day, she writes, We have too much to do, so give us enough silence to hear your voice. We have too much to worry about, so quiet us with a moment of your peace. We have too much to carry. So lighten our hearts with your love. We are your people, eyes cast down on the ground that you made, weary that the sky will fall again. Remind us again that above and below, you are here. I don't know how you picture God now, and I don't know how that's changed over the years, but I'd love to. Let's have coffee. Mm -hmm. What do you imagine when you pray? Was suffering part of how that image has changed for you? However you might answer these questions in this moment, I want to invite us to return to our efforts during the time for children. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you don't. I want you to imagine. First, imagine that God is love. All the love in the universe. And then imagine that that love looks at you. The you that is this moment looks at you and adores you. No changes needed, no alterations, exactly you looks at you and adores you and knows you to be the masterpiece you are. Now imagine that this God of love and adoration is present to you always, as close as your breathing. Hear these words as comfort as connection, as deep abiding love. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there, 
Your hand shall lead me and your right hand will hold me fast. You have hemmed me in before and behind. You are with me always. Amen.